Hello and welcome to the Swing Bump Podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the show this week. On today's show, we will be discussing our top shortstops in the league as we go into the 2020 season. We will also briefly touch on the Boston Red Sox uh, ruling that has come down for their part in the cheating, the sign-stealing scandal of the last few seasons. So, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. guys we get to have james and wes here today as always except for last week we figured that we'd get james back on here we'd let him back we had to postpone the show an extra day because of his apparent vacation they they, they didn't have to know that that. (laughs) (laughs) but congratulations james apparently you caught a shark that's pretty cool yeah yeah all right so let's go ahead and get into the show um let's go ahead and get into the show so we have our shortstops today, which I was planning on us doing third baseman because I thought, oh, we start with catchers, first, second, third, short, because of like the numbering system for baseball where it goes to one is pitcher, two, three, you four. You said short, so you said exactly what five, we thought. Five, six. No, I said third base. You said short. Well, I thought we were doing. I thought we were doing third base, but James and Wes prepared for shortstop, so I quickly threw together my list of shortstops. I will not be uh, sticking to it so tooth and nail because I had about 15 seconds to do this. So it is what it is. Um, Anyways, let's go ahead and do our random list generator. Oh, Wes, you are first, James, and then I will go after that. So, Wes, who you got at number five for the American League? That was really fast generator. Yeah, I'm fast. Um, (laughs) So, number five, I'm going to go with a uh, one an MVP candidate from last year. I'm gonna go Marcus Simeon with the Athletics. That's who uh, I have as well. He's a very very great. He's a, he had a great season. Um, it might have been the best season. It, it was the best season of his career, offensively and defensively. So yeah, I have him number five. I do not have him five. Who do you have, James? I have him split from. I have him tied for third, fourth, whatever. So I'll have put him fourth. But I have Carlos Correa actually fifth. Okay, explain. Uh, I was between. I had him between him and Jorge Polanco. But if you look at Jorge Polanco, the guy had 22 errors last year, which is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, Simeon's so, not so amazing like, defensively either. But he didn't have 22 well, errors. He did have a great season defensively last year. 
Hank Rayo uh, also had 21 home runs in 75 games, which is just insane. Who did? Yeah. Correa. Correa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Correa is great if he can stay healthy. That's why yeah. I have him at fifth and not higher. Mm-hmm. I have Correa at um, four, personally. That's where I have Correa as well. Um. Oh, wait. I made a six-man list. I didn't have Simeon in my list. I had one person above him. I had Simeon at six. So, I have... I'm just going to cross him off my list. I have um, Bo Bichet at five. And Correa I at four. Mm-hmm. I like Bo Bichette. Or Bo Bichette. I always say Bichette. Yeah. I said it because yeah. you said it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not ready to put him over all these other guys. And I'm fine with that. You guys got to research this a lot more than me. Um, I could see him doing better than Simeon. He was a rookie last year, and he looks like he's really trending up. We're talking about the shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he really burst onto the scene last year. But if you guys are outvoting me, then I will take my lumps and go ahead and throw Simeon at five then. Because I think that James... Wes and I would outrule, overrule you and have Correa But can we Simeon. discuss this? I mean, goodness. I mean, you're overruled, but we can discuss it. But sure. I, just, uh, I, I just think Carlos Correa's injuries is hurting him. And I think Simeon, I mean, he did great last year. And he, I mean, maybe, you know, it was a fluke year. You don't know that. But I feel like he showed more than Correa has this past year just because of Correa's injuries. All right, let's, like I said, let's Correa's talk numbers. Are good. But, I mean, injuries scared me with him. What did he, I don't even remember, what did he injure? You would know, Wes. It was his. Uh, I want to say it was like it was like a calf. But Which I mean, I guess calf is not the worst. It wasn't serious. It was just nagging. It was nagging the whole season, and then they're just like they shut him down because they didn't want it to nag the whole season. So they shut him down for a lot for a large part of the season. Came back was um, was awesome. I yeah. agree that he is injury prone, but if we look at Simeon, he. Had, 285 had a 370 on base percentage last year, 33 homers. The year, the three years previous, 238 batting average, 249, 255, 10 homers, 15 homers. It's and he's he's 29 years old. I mean, last year was fantastic. Juiced ball. I think he might might have had a bit of an effect. So we'll see. Uh, a lot of people I had that effect. I think he had a great year. I think. That was his best year he's ever going to have, in my opinion. Which, I, I, like I said, I am fine with that. I just wanted to hear the arguments. Like, yeah, I, I, I like actually three, four, and five. I had all pretty close, even though three y'all are probably going to say it's higher. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's where we I'm at. Simeon, Simeon at five. Okay. Yep. So Simeon yep. at five and Carlos Correa at four. Then, and I, any, would you rather have Correa? Or, I'm sorry, Wes, you didn't have Correa at three, did you? I had Correa at four as well. Okay. Not a homer. So, it is settled then. <laughs> not today. <laughs> and we we have to drop them maybe a little bit just because of them not having the uh, sign-stealing capabilities this season. But they'll figure something yes. else out, I'm sure. Yes, we will. So, at number three, I guess it's my turn, right? Uh, sure, just get me. That's fine. Oh, I go ahead, Wes. I mean, you said you had Correa at five and Simeon at four, so I guess... Whatever, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's fine. Just go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have Gleyber Torres at three. Oh, really? I have him as there as well. Okay, I didn't have Gleyber Torres. I had Alberto Mondesi 
And I'm guessing you guys don't have him. I don't have him no. anywhere. So let okay. me go ahead and pull up Montessi's stats really quick, and we can discuss it, why I think he's going to do so well. He is uh, a very um, – wait, why isn't he coming up? Alberto Montessi. He is good at a lot of things. Um, he gets stolen bases. And or at Alberto Montesi, that's how you say it. Excuse me. He yep. gets stolen bases. He had 43 last year, which is not as valuable as a statistic as it is um, for some people. And right. excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. I'll cut that out. <clears throat> and he only hit 263 last year. But everyone with nine home runs. So he's not doing a lot of things that these other guys are. So he probably doesn't belong in the list. I just think with someone who has like 43 stolen bases a year, that it's just a really interesting statistic and a guy that having that different character trait that all the other guys aren't even close to makes him valuable. But I guess that's more so in a fantasy baseball sense rather than value to a team. You know what I mean? Like if we're talking value to a professional major league team – his value is not quite as high as it would be for like a fantasy baseball team. So I'm willing to let him slide off the list for sure. And Glaber Torres yeah. does more than Modesty does. Yeah, 38 homers, 90 RBIs last year. Yeah, so. I would take that over Modesty. That was a slip up on my part. Sorry, I did this in 15 seconds. Okay. <laughs> um, so go, go ahead and give me some of that Glaber Torres talk. All right. Uh, well... Uh, he's only been in the league for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 23 years old, so he's super young. Uh, he does strike out a ton, which is a common trend, but I feel like he strikes out a little more than most people. Um, so that's his biggest downfall. He had 129 strikeouts last year um, out of 546 bats. So that's one every, what, three and a half at bats he's striking out. Um, but he does hit 38. He did hit 38 home runs, 90 RBIs. He walked 48 times. Um, he hits the ball well. He batted 278 last year. He batted 271 the year before, so he's pretty consistent around 275-ish. Um, so his WAR was 3.9, which I feel like is pretty high for being such a young player. His career WAR is. Um, so I like him. I mean, I don't like the Yankees, yeah. but I like him. Yeah, he's not a great defender, but I think his his offensive firepower is is just it's it's incredible. You know, so uh, yeah, I have him at number three as well. He actually. Last year, oh, he had 20 errors, but that was between shortstop and second. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. The majority of them were shortstop. Yep. All right. So then, James, your turn. Who do you have at number – or, yes, number two? It's you. Yeah, it's you, Jake. Oh, it's my turn? Well, I don't want to do it yet. Someone else go. All right, Wes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Uh, Number two, let's see. I have Xander Bogarts. I have Xander Bogarts at number two. I think that should be um, unanimous, right? Yeah, yeah. Five point nine WAR, three hundred nine last year, um, three eighty four on base percentage. You know, thirty. He just it, the stats go on and on. Um, he's a legit offensive shortstop and top top three in the game, honestly, probably. But uh, just the guy who's number one is just a little bit better. Probably top three player in the game or top five at least. I like. But anyways, yeah. So I like what you say. Well, then I'm going to take, go ahead and take my turn, and I agree with you, James. I think Xander Bogarts belongs to be or deserves to be the number two shortstop in the, <laughs> in the American League. But at number one is the 
amazing Francisco Lindor, and I think that that is going to be unanimous across all of baseball, not just in the American League, but in the National League and the entire Major League Baseball. Uh, Francisco Lindor is the greatest shortstop playing the game right now, and potentially um, one of the, like you said, one of the top five players in baseball. And he has a big payday coming in two yeah, years. Yeah, the Atlanta Braves. Well, it's not going to be for the Indians, that's for sure. <laughs> At least you um, wouldn't be mad if you went to the Braves. I guess I would. No, if I he mean, goes well, anywhere besides left. Cleveland, I'll be mad. Oh, my word. Anywhere besides Cleveland, I'll be not Not mad at Lindor, just mad at Cleveland for not re-signing him. Um, but funny thing, last year was a down year for Lindor compared to his previous two seasons. He only played 143 games because he did start the season on the DL from spring training injury. Um, only had... 32 home runs, 74 RBI, 22 stolen bases, and a 284 batting average. So, what are you gonna do? <laughs> but he was the yeah, All-Star game and had, or he was an All-Star player and was 15th in MVP voting this previous season. Um, but uh, he also won the Gold Glove. He's won the Platinum Glove before, and I don't see anyone performing better than him this year, or at least. Sure, it could happen, but I think that most likely he has the best chance of being the number one shortstop out of anybody else. Definitely. No, yeah, I, I have him as number one shortstop in baseball. I mean, there was a argument a few years ago between Carlos Correa and Francisco Lindor, who should have won the Rookie of the Year. And you know, at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, Correa, Correa." And then well, Andrew I think Buck Correa, I think Correa did deserve to win the Rookie of the Year that year. Um, yeah. I'm just saying, like, at the time, it looked like they were going up, and then Correa's, not that he couldn't get there, it's just the injury bugs hit him so far into his career, and uh, Lindor's just kept going. And the argument that, because we had this argument all the time, Wes, um, who is the better shortstop, who's going to have the better career? And your guys' argument was that Correa was built for more longevity and for more power just because he's a bigger player, can play further into his career and sustain power, which is huge in baseball. But over the seasons, Lindor's just proven, even with his only 5'11 frame, just to have more power. And he's just, uh, he's got better defensive range. He doesn't have the arm that Correa has, but everything else he's got, beat, he beats Correa out on so far in their career, so... Uh, it's been really cool, and they're actually really great friends. They're from the same country, and uh, it's just cool to. I love watching him every day, and I can't wait till the season starts back up and watch him some more. I pray that somehow we will get him to re-sign at some kind of a discount because our owners are too cheap to sign him. But I highly doubt it's going to happen. I think the only way that we can re-sign him is if he wins MVP, and the owners just say, "Well, we have to give the first person to win the MVP in years for Cleveland." A contract. That's the only way I can see it happening. But then he'll probably ask for even more. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Any other discussion on these guys before we move on? Nope, nope, nope. That was the easy one. Yes, American League yep. was the easy First. one. So let's go ahead and move on to talking about the Boston Red Sox um, penalties, okay? Okay, so recently this past week the Red Sox or the MLB has come down with their ruling on the Red Sox cheating scandal as well if you remember of course the Astros had this huge cheating scandal where uh, people were fired and um, Wes what were all of your punishments actually when the Astros were punished for this all right so it was number one there's a five million dollar fine uh, number two first and second round picks are forfeited in 2020 and 2021 and 
uh, I think that might be it. I mean, as far as just league punishment, and of course, all of the baseball world hates us now, so uh, that's a psychological <laughs> punishment. Right, but for the most part, there was no title stripping, there was no long-lasting punishment, you're... The two people that were involved with it, more or less, were fired, but no players were punished for this, even though they all knew about it. And that's what everyone's kind of freaking out about. So, there actually hasn't, which is surprising, there's not been a lot of news about the Red Sox players and how deep this conspiracy went with them. Um, Which I think maybe in part to the investigation not being handled the same way as it was handled with the Astros. With the Astros... They interviewed the players, and the players told them everything, so they got this immunity. I'm pretty confident with the Red Sox, that's not how this went at all. There was a lot more, you know, talking with the organization and stuff rather than going to the players. So we haven't heard as much outrage about that. So basically what they've said is the Red Sox, during the 2018 season, um, they were stealing signs illegally using technology, much like how the Astros were. I don't know if they were banging cans or what, but they were doing something. Okay. That was the main thing they said in this, like, that was how they yeah, so, decipher the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. So what I saw is there, so the blame is all going to this video coordinator guy, this JT guy. JT Watkins. And they're saying, yeah, they're saying that he Rip. would decipher the signs from the pitcher and catcher, then call down to Alex Cora, and he would relay that to the batters. But, you know... Apparently, none of the batters used it or something. So, so the batters are then know. just like looking at the catcher's fingers or something, or what? I don't know. Or it's I guess they do their. So fast. I'm so confused. Well, okay, so. Sequencing? You would get their sequencing, right? So, for instance, if you. When there's a runner on second base, you change your signs, right? Because you don't oh, want the runner on second base to tell the first. the, the batter what's <laughs> yeah, happening. Mm-hmm. So, if the, you can tell the batters, hey. The third sign is whatever the actual sign is, or you know whatever comes after two straight ones. That's what it is. Then when they're on second base, they can tell the batter what pitch is coming by giving some sort, some certain uh, signal. You know. Right. So I imagine that's how they were doing it. Um, yeah. But you, they're claiming that the players never actually used it. No, uh, I mean they're. <laughs> I, I, it's it's hard to say because you know the the players on the Red Sox, in my opinion, they are just denying, denying, denying because they saw what happened to the Astros. They've been shunned by the baseball world, and mm-hmm. you know they cheated. Yep. They, right. So the Astros have been shunned. The Red Sox are saying we don't want to go through that. Right. We're going to deny. No, not deny, us. Deny. So we we just had one yeah. person doing this, and no one else used yeah. it. I see. Yeah, yeah. The players didn't do it. That guy did it. So they found they, their scapegoat. The, Video coordinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah, but that make any sense? What do you mean? Does it make any sense? Oh, the fact this guy would do this. And yeah, but yeah, they didn't use it. Why was he doing it? That doesn't make any sense. And remember, listeners, this is so the manager of the Red Sox during this season, 2018, was Alex Cora, who was the bench manager for the Astros in 2017, the same season that the Astros were convicted for cheating using the similar technology. So he's pretty much brought his system with him to Boston, and now they're claiming, well, in Houston the players listened, but here in Boston the guys didn't do it. Yeah, and Alex Cora had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. So the punishment that the Red Sox have received is they lost their 2020 second-round pick. Their replay operator, JT Watkins, is banned through the 2020 playoffs from working 
um, in the Major League Baseball and is banned from doing the same job in 2021. And Alex Cora has been banned through the 2020 playoffs, but that had yeah. already happened because yeah. of no, no. the Astros The league scandal. didn't banish him at all. Okay, but the Red Sox had fired him. Yes, yes, yes. And now they're banishing him for four yeah, he, seasons, he, so he, he can't work anywhere. He's banned for the, the Astros thing, R- nothing correct. for the Red Sox. Yeah. And so the Red Sox now have made their current interim manager – after this news, they've made him their permanent manager. So, Axe Cora will not be coming back. Um, and one other thing, what was I going to say? I'm trying to remember. Oh, so David Ortiz has recently come out and said that this is all ridiculous, and this is what I want to talk about. Because he claims that the Red Sox getting this punishment is uh, ludicrous and over too much of a punishment because they're getting punished for, for what everyone in the league was doing. And that's really concerning to me. Um, and I don't know if he is he just backing up the organization he played for his entire career, or is this something that legitimately has been going on in most, if not every team? Um, I personally don't think so. I don't have a reason to believe that, but I am pretty confident that most Red Sox and Astros fans would tell you it is. It's a it's it's a touchy subject because no one wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. That their team's a cheater, just like the Astros or Red Sox, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not saying that either one of y'all's teams is. Uh, I'm just saying, it's a. Uh, I I never thought that you know the the great Astros, you know the the feel good story of 2017. Now that to hear that they're that they cheated, it's uh, you know, it it sucks. And I would have never thought that they would have cheated, but right. you know, they did. So, but I haven't seen any evidence that there are teams out there still cheating. So to me, I'm going to live in this world where it's not everyone doing it because I don't want to see baseball that way. I don't want to see it as everyone trying to gain an unfair advantage, you know? Um, I mean, that's what the steroid era era was. And while you may argue it was some of the most entertaining baseball um, that we had seen, it was tainted though because truly not everyone was doing it. There were a large minority of people who were, but that makes the game tainted and it makes it not the pure sport that we love to watch. And you see guys who get left in the wayside because someone like Mark McGuire is juiced up, you know, and I just don't want to see anything like that in the game. And I don't want to live in a world where that's true of my sport. So, well, I guess I would still want to live in the world, but (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I really hope it's not the case. And I, I, if it is the case, I hope they find it out of every team that is and that they can stop it. I imagine that whatever um, happens when the season does start, that things like this are going to be monitored much more closely. So, I do know okay. that more investigations are coming as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I just all hope right. it's like all the good teams, like the Yankees, <laughs> Red Sox, Dodgers, Astros. <laughs> Get them all out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Pave the way for the yep. Indians. All right, so here are my thoughts. Um, And I I actually side with David Ortiz on the fact that, not that everyone does it, but the punishment might have been ridiculous because there's two sides to this. Either they cheated and they got it off easy, or they didn't cheat and they got punished wrongly. So if Manford believes that they actually didn't cheat, then why did he do these intense things? Why did they lose a second-round pick? Which, if they did cheat, is getting off way too easy, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they are point. guilty, uh, 
then you know that he should have got way more. They should have got what Houston got. Pretty much the same exact thing. Houston barely but, got anything. He's got a fine. Well, they didn't get fined one lost. penny. The Red Sox didn't lose and, anything. And we, yeah. And we lost first and second round picks in two consecutive years. Mm, that's true. That's true. And and but if they're not guilty, then why did he punish them with what he punished them with? Because he clearly thinks someone's wrong here. This because, is why Manfred trusts me crazy. Because the the here's why. The the actions of the Astros was an organization wide conspiracy that was going on by many people. The culture there was a cheating culture. There were m- many levels of people that were involved in this, and it never got stopped. To me, if no one has t- come and talked to the president or the owner, and even the owner saying, hey, my guys are cheating to the commissioner or saying, and they won't listen and they won't stop, because he told them to stop, at least he claims he did, and they didn't. Oh, Oh yeah. I mean Then then that's why they would get a, a harsher penalty. Boston, they're claiming that it was literally this one guy and nobody listened, right? And if they can't prove that, then they can't give them a, a equal punishment. They can only punish for what they can prove. You know what but, I mean? Yeah. But if this guy gave them the information and they didn't use it, they're, they're not cheating at all. Yes, but they still have to punish the person in the that guy. organization, right? That I guy. I agree, but why would they lose a second round pick? Is what I don't understand. Because just but punishing one person, when are you punishing the organization? Are you punishing one person? And that the, guy uh, is part of a group, and the group pays the price for the actions of one. It's just how it I, is, man. I don't man. agree with that at all. I don't agree with that. Well, you wouldn't do very well in the army. <laughs> that, this is very true. This is why I didn't join. That was the most frustrating thing of basic training is being uh, punished for one stupid idiot who decided he wanted to steal a packet of peanut butter out of the lunchroom. And then you have to end up doing No. No way, man. (laughs) I was too afraid of doing (laughs) push-ups. But but I think that's the reason the Red Sox are getting even any punishment. At least that's what I would say. And I'm usually right Uh, about most things. I just – I think it's stupid. Because if they're guilty, they're guilty. If they're not, don't punish them. Understandable. I think it's wrong, but I do think there's more of it going on in the major leagues than we hope to believe. So, unfortunately. Yeah, I hope not. And I yeah, hope they all get caught. Every single one of them. Yeah. Unless it's the Braves. Okay. Unless, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I hope the Indians don't get caught if they are. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be honest, man. <laughs> Let's be honest. We're not good enough to cheat, so. <laughs> We're not smart enough have, for that. We, the, we're the Atlanta, let's be honest. are going to be under investigation as well. Oh, really? Yep. And they suck. What, yeah, why are they even trying to win? Let's be honest. <laughs> they needed to tank to get some picks. All right, let's move on to the National League shortstops. Um, so, James, I think it's your turn. Who's your number five? Okay, so this is where... Y'all are going to absolutely disagree with me who I don't have on my list. But I'm going to start with who I do have. And I have uh, Ahmed Rosario. I don't know how to say his first name. Ahmed. Ahmed. Ahmed Ahmed. Rosario. uh, Shortstop for the New York Mets. Okay. His batting average was above 330. Uh, He stole bases. He was a pretty good defender. The guy was ridiculous. Um. So then I wonder who you're taking off my list because I have trouble seeing any of these guys not on my list. Um, and I have a reason why I 
have the one person on. We'll t- we'll get there. Trust so me. So I don't know where there. you see the stats. Okay, he hit 287, 287 last year. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant 287. <laughs> he only I hit 15 homers, this. 72 RBI, 19 stolen base. He's a good, yeah. well-rounded player. Yeah. Uh, 2.4 WAR tells a little bit more of the story, in my opinion. Um, which isn't bad, but it means well, he's. Well, 2017, 2018, he 2017, he only played 46 games. Yes. He's only really been in the league for two years. Yeah. And I'm just talking about just last year with the war. Um, he led the league in caught stealing last year with, with 10. He's caught stealing 10 times. He steals a lot. 19. 19 out of 30 is not great. Um, all right. So there's James <laughs> James's nomination. I would argue for Corey Seager. Um, That's why I have five as well. Mm-hmm. And... Let's go ahead and talk about some of Corey Seager's stats. First off, he's on a better offense, so he's going to have to get pitched too. There's no uh, going around him. And he's going to be driven in. He'll get runs. He's going to get RBIs with runners on base. Now, he did not have as high of a batting average as... um, What's the guy's name you said? Uh, Rosario. Rosario. Yes. He hit 272 last year, but his career 294 batting average. Hit 19 home runs last year, but had a higher war at 3.3. Um, but he only played. Yeah, he hit 44. Led the league in doubles last year. He had 134. Uh, only played in 134 games and only 26 the year before that. So if he can put together a healthy season, I expect him to have a better season than Rosario. You see where I'm coming okay. from, James? Okay, but okay, he's the one I kept off, and this is why. 2019 hamstring injury. 2018 hamstring injury. 2017 arm injury. 2016 calf injury. 2015 injury. He got hurt every single year. Yeah, but he still was a okay. rookie of the year one of those let's, years. MVP voting two of those years. Point. He got hurt in the postseason in 2016. 2017, mm-hmm. 18, 19 is when he really got hurt. In 2016, he played in 157 games. Yeah, that was the one he got hurt in the postseason. I mean, he, he didn't was... play the postseason at all. I mean, 2017, he, he played 145. If he puts together yeah. a 162 game season, like his average for if he had a 162 game season, would be a 24 homer, 88 RBI, and 294 batting average based off of his career numbers. So if he can be healthy, I don't see Rosario getting close to that. 2015, he batted 337. He only played 27 games. Use the no, same James. That's no, no, no. You don't understand how averages work. The average. No, okay, okay, Jake. You use the same argument against me for first base. I know, and you're back. You're backwards on it right now. So that's a weighted average. So his average of three, whatever it was, of only 54 games, it's not worth nearly as much. That's how an average is calculated. You're using the same. And did no, you're confused, James. Trust me. There are some things that you'll be right on, and I'm wrong on. It happens. But when it comes to averages and math, trust me on this one. That's how it would play out. His batting average is based off of every game that he's played in his career, right? His career and batting average. I was based off too, and you said I was wrong. No, you were talking about you just took the four numbers, right, of one of four different seasons, and you just averaged those four numbers, not no, considering how many games were in each one. No, I did not do that. Well, you then, put, then your math was just I, way off then, <laughs> because I did the math for how many games there were, and it was like 10, 10 or whatever points lower. Just trust me on this one. Just trust I'm me. I'm not going to trust you, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> okay. The whole world is going to know. <laughs> so, 
So are we going to do... Um, All right, so, so 2018, so, 2019 but, is his hamstring injury, is why I did not put him on the list. And I understand the fear of injury, but <laughs> I'm not going to put that on them. You know, I, I feel like as far as I go forward, he's healthy right now. I, I, per, I expect him to have a better season. I mean, even with being injured this past season, he had a arguably better season than Rosario. I mean, he did. He yeah, had he had an extra extra run or extra uh, point of war, and he had was injured this previous season. So I still expect him to do better, even if he gets injured. I really like Rosario. Um, I just see in twenty eighteen he hit two fifty six with a two ninety five OBP. Um, you know, he had a great season last year. I see a little bit of regression, and I see I think Seager can actually get a little bit better than he had last year. So it's but they both um, honestly they both suck at defense. Yeah, compared to some, for sure. I, I think it's pretty close, James. Um, I do, but I think that we're going to give the edge to Seager That's just fine. because you're outvoted. When he gets hurt this year, don't say I didn't tell you so. <laughs> and when he, when he gets hurt, and he's still better. That's the thing. He's not, how are you going to be better when you're not on the field? He was better this year. He contributed more wins. And the games he played, yes. No, over the season. So the way war operates is how much do you contribute to your team how many wins did you contribute to your team? He contributed 3.3 more wins than the average well, player. Look at his team. No, that's what it, it's individual. <laughs> the way <laughs> war is calculated, it says how much <laughs> wins above replacement, wins above the average player. He had more than Rosario did last year, and he was injured, and that's throughout his throughout the whole season. I mean. I- if you say so, okay. I I just can't. Ha- I just I'm 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 okay with putting him fifth. I'm just telling you, the injuries are gonna kill him, in my opinion. <laughs> oh dang, getting all mortal and deathly here. <laughs> He's, he will die. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So number four, my turn. I've got Javier Baez. Oh, Mm-mm. mama. <laughs> you have him higher have, or, or lower? I have Baez way higher. Really? I have Baez way So Javier is a amazing shortstop. De- defensively, he's a magician. He also does amazing things on the base paths and on the um, at the plate. He hit 29 homers last year, 281 batting average, 11 stolen bases, OBP of 316. Uh, how many times does he strike out, though? That's the, the big thing. Not really. A, a ton. Let's just say that. I'm looking for it. He struck out 156 times over the last three seasons, 144, 167, 156. So he strikes out a lot, and that's a lot for a shortstop. Um, but still, he's, I mean, he's a, every year he could have the threat of being an MVP candidate. And he's great, but that's just, to me, a testament of how great the shortstops are in the National League this year. I think that these top four are really close, in my opinion. So I'm willing to shuffle these guys around. I I have Baez a lot higher. I'm not going to say where, I but either <laughs> I I have a little bit of a man crush on Javi Baez. Now he he got a little he was a little hurt last year. He only played 138 games compared to 160 the previous year, but he still put up 29 homers and 85 RBIs. And the OBP is never going to be good because he because he swings the bat so much. But he's the best in my opinion. In my opinion, he's the best defensive shortstop in the National League, and. And he's a legitimate MVP candidate when he's healthy for 160 games. So I I think he's I, – I know who you have above him, 
and I'm not ready to crown Tatis above him just yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Batting average-wise, 317 was last year, and that's with all of oh. the strikeouts he had. And it was in a limited season. Right. And he also um, had a 4.1 war during that season as well. And was only seven home runs yes. behind him in a much short, in only 80-something games. So I just think that... I agree. And I'm not saying I'm crowning him as he is the better shortstop, but like we said, like we said in other arguments, projecting this future season, I think this is the season that Tatis takes that leap over Baez. That's why I, have I him. would feel a whole lot better if it wasn't his sophomore year. If he had done it two or three years, I would feel a whole lot better. But See, I'm super nervous. Success is bred by the bold, and you guys are just so based on you I know have having to have everything Tatis concrete. You gotta throw well. some. You gotta throw some uh, risky things out there, or no one, no one's interested in what you have to say. Are you ready for this, Jake? Yeah. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Baez struck out what 150 something times. Right. He struck out every 1.1 times per whatever uh, at bat or games played. Games played. Okay. Tatis <laughs> struck out 1.3 times, so he strikes out even more than Baez does. Right. And we we know that we discussed that. I understand that. Yeah. But I, I just can't put him above Baez, who has proved it. And like when we talked about um, first baseman, we we kept talking about how this person didn't prove it yet because they're so young. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. that is why I have Tatis at four because he just hasn't proved it. He will be the best probably. I, I I do not doubt that in the NL. But right now I cannot put him up. Next year he I'm will be the best. I, or no, 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 in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think he will be the best in the future, too, meaning next year. But okay, we'll put Tatis at four. <laughs> Near future. <laughs> um, all right, so then we'll do Tatis at four. I'm, I guess, who do you guys have at three? You have Baez higher than three, even? Yes. Yes. Mm, I'm going to veto that, but okay. Here's, here's <laughs> why. All right, so it's my turn. So I nominate Trey Turner. Here's uh. why. 3.3 war. Compared to, and he played in 122 games, versus Baez 6.0 WAR in 138 games. 16 more games, almost double the amount of WAR. Now he does steal a lot of bases. He hit 298, and he had 19 homers, which is really so good. Ten fewer homers, better batting average, more stolen bases, much fewer RBIs, so he's not hitting as many um, extra base hits as Baez is. And he's not as also, good defensively as Baez is. He's great exactly. defensively. Yeah, well, no one's as good as Baez defensively, except in the NL. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, even Turner might be a negative. I'm looking at defensive run saves. He's a negative one, which I didn't know. I mm-hmm. thought he was better. Baez is a, 20, is a plus 26 defensive run saved. That's why I have Trey Turner number two. Turner's, Turner's, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, his on-base percentage is also 40 points higher than Baez's, but Baez's slugging is 40 points higher than Turner's, okay. so, uh, which means their OPS is almost identical. I feel so like they're the just, flipped our one and threes. They're just better at different things than each other. I actually do not have Trey Turner at third. I have Trey Turner. I will not say where I have him. But I will explain to you why I have him there when we, unless I have to right now. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk it out. Okay, Trey Turner batted two. What was it? Two ninety seven. Two ninety eight. 
298. Okay, 298. Um, uh, let me see. 19 home runs. Okay, he did this 122 games. He broke his finger and kept playing with a broken finger. So he did all these stats with a broken finger for more than half the year. Mm-hmm. He could not put his finger on the bat. He was swinging with nine fingers on the bat. Okay. Which finger so, did he break? His, his index finger, I believe. On his left hand? I believe so, yes. And mm-hmm. that probably affected his fielding as well. It very well could. And that's why I do not have him at three. Because, I, I, of course, I see him more than any other shortstop in baseball because we face the Nationals 900 times mm-hmm. a year. <laughs> I know how good he is. And he's when he gets on the base, you can just forget about it. He's going to get a stolen base. You can. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. I still value speed and stolen bases pretty highly. That's why I had Turner above Baez. Um, and I think since James and I both have him above Baez, that we should put him above there. And since I had him at four, I think three is a good spot for Baez. Man, I just think, I mean, what is valued in today's today's? I mean, in today's game? Is it stolen bases or is it power and defense? To me, and- to me there's enough power in the game. I would rather have, if I have to have eight people that are already hitting home runs, give me that one guy that can get me a stolen base to score. I mean, I'm, How about I don't know. A guy who's, I, don't, I, I just think defensively, he's leaps and bounds better. He's a better power hitter. He's, yeah, he's, he's doesn't have much walks in his game because he, he's going to swing the bat. I mean, they're both perennial MVP, perennial MVP candidates. But man, three and for Baez, I, and he has double the amount of WAR for last year. Double six point zero to three point three. I, I just, I think the fact that he played with a broken finger is the reason why he was down last year. I, I mean, I mean, this this is just me. I mean, I could be wrong, and I could be a little biased towards him, but I try not to be <laughs> biased. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but I think. Like, if you look two years ago, look at his stats from two years ago. Uh, he played in every single game, led the league in played appearances in batting average, uh, led the league in stolen bases. Hits. 180 hits. That's mm-hmm. insane. 43 stolen yeah. bases, which I know you're not super big about. His war then was 4.1. That's when he was healthy. Yeah, and Javi Baez was a silver slugger in 2018. Yeah. Yeah, that was a crazy year. That was your free Freeman. I'm I'm willing to flip flop either of these guys. Um, I personally would put Turner above Baez because of his average and stolen bases. But then at the same time, Baez also has, like you said, the defense that Turner doesn't. This is too difficult. This is hurting my brain. And then the worst part is who y'all have at number one, and I don't have at number one. Well, well. Unless Sorry. Baez is number one for Wes. Yeah, uh, spoiler alert, Baez was number one for me. <laughs> okay, well, so we're not... We all have different one, two, threes. Yeah, it's all shuffled. This is just a big scramble in my brain, and it's starting to hurt, so... <laughs> I don't <laughs> like three. this at all. My one is, my one is Trevor Story, uh, two is Trey Turner, and three Tatis, four Baez. And you guys have it all different shuffle, shuffled all differently. Yeah, I have Turner at one, Baez at two, Story at three, Tatis at four, and then I guess it doesn't matter at five. Best case scenario this year for for both players, for 
uh, Baez and Trey Turner. Who has the best, better year? Best case scenario. If they both what play better? to the max of their potential, Baez. I think it depends on what you like, how you look at it. Well, and the thing is too, Baez is such a streaky player. You know what I mean? He can, I if do. he gets on that long streak for a season, sure, he could be an MVP. But then he can also strike out on eight straight curveballs over his eight straight at bats. You know what I mean? He's granted he's gotten better at that over time, but I don't know. Maybe okay, I so just don't like Baez because he beat us in the World Series. Okay, if we look at if <laughs> well, we look not at him. Baez, he had a terrible World each, Series. Each category, I put Baez fielding better, mm-hmm. Baez's power better, but I put everything else to Trey Turner. Everything else. So batting average and and uh, all speed. around like uh, on base percentage. Okay, not slugging. I guess I would consider it home runs, but like doubles, I guarantee you. Maybe not. I can't guarantee you that. Let me see before I put my stick, put my mouth. Are you even flexible enough for that? Thirty-seven doubles for Turner last year. Thirty-eight for Baez. Forty the previous season. Well, Baez, Baez also played more games played last game. year. Mm-hmm. Played sixteen more games. But yep. so I feel like I feel like Turner might have been able to get more than one double in sixteen games. That's but just double the amount of WAR. Six point oh to yeah. three point three. Again, we're predict- predicting for next year, so it's not saying this is what happened last year. We could all go ahead and look up the stats from last year and just sit, copy it over. We're predicting for next year. So we have okay, to decide. We have to decide. What? We're deciding in five seconds who three is. So is bias, it bias? bias, bias. And Hell, we got to argue. Bias. Let's just argue for story so we can hear the argument for story as well, and then we can decide. So Trevor's story has had injury issues too, and that's something that we have to discuss because um, – it's been something that's popped up a lot with these players. And I think that when healthy, he's been one of the most amazing uh, shortstops that's in the game the last three years. Can we look at his road stats? He, the thing is, though, is he's still on the Rockies, and he's going to have those same advantages. He had a 6.1 war last year, hit 294, and hit 35 home runs. Having him behind either of those guys, to me, is bonkers, because he's better in every category. Uh, comparatively, the only thing he's not better at, and the only thing he's not better at for um, uh, Trey Turner is he has fewer steals by ten and a four-point lower batting average. But that's much more comparable than it is for Baez. And as far as Baez goes, he's been better at than and everything except for defense. Every offensive stat he's better at for Baez. Actually, Story has less errors than Baez does. Story has fewer errors. Well, okay, but we've talked about how errors aren't a very proper measurement of. Um, I, I just. To, I don't have the fielding whatever stat that y'all have in front of y'all. So there's this thing, Baseball Reference. It gives great uh, stats. Well, I mean, I have bias in front of me on that one. I, I use multiple things so I get different things. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Multiple things so you get different things. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> great radio <laughs> see i like i like story a lot and i'm actually fine with flip-flopping him and bias but yeah you know doubles, they're almost the same R- home runs i mean story a little bit better not a whole lot rbis the same uh strikeouts <laughs> story strikes out a little more uh, surprisingly uh batting average definitely definitely story is better um Baez could get to 290, but he's definitely not going to have an OBP of over 330, probably. Yeah, and Story, Story has 363. Right. Yeah. So, 
I am willing to put story at number one. Thank you. Yeah, I can put story at number one. Okay. Now, for sure. So now the story's at number one. I'll let you guys figure out the rest because I'm as long as he's one. You got to be the deciding factor because I say Trey Turner and he says Javi Baez. All right, Jake. Trevor Story Ward for 2019 was 6.1 mm-hmm. in 145 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javi Baez Ward 6.0 in 138 games. So you're Trey Turner 3.3 s- in 122 games. That's that. This is blowing my mind. Which one? The war? War. It's so weird to me. So the way war is calculated is it takes everything into account. Fielding, base running, hitting, and says, how much better is this than the average, or is this guy than the average player? How much does he contribute to a team's success? So theoretically, it doesn't actually work out this way. If you were to add up all the players that participate on an an MLB roster, at the end of the year, their total wins would add up to their combined war from all of their players, right? Um, does it absolutely happen that way? No, it doesn't. But theoretically, that's what they're attempting to do, to say how much does this player actually contribute. So that's kind of what the number represents. The exact formula for it is very intricate, and I'm not going into the details of it right now, but that's just kind of a really telltale sign of how last year, yes, Baez had a much better overall season than Trey Turner did. And I think if I have to break the tie, I have to lean that way, James. The more that I mean, granted, I put my list together in five seconds, fifteen seconds. So. <laughs> in for 2018, if, too, Bias stole twenty-one bases. Yes, and if we're talking, um, if we're talking fantasy baseball, I'm drafting Turner before Bias because of the stolen bases. Um, okay, because let me, before you decide, keep talking. I want to look up one thing before I do that. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna act gonna... like I'm gonna act like I didn't decide, so that you can do that. <laughs> what a kind servant of the Lord. Yes. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we could pause the show right now if you need to, because I'm I can just them. cut it out. This it's is hard to stuff. believe I'm arguing so hard for Javi Baez. Actually, hit the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, this is intense. But he is fun to watch. He is a super fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. Actually, they both are, but, you know. James, I don't know if you want it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was saying, yeah, I was saying continue. Sorry. Um, no, saying, yeah. no, no. I was just reading something that Tori sent me. Um, I don't know if you want it or not, but for my brother-in-law, I made a new list of like the. Uh, t- okay. He was like, I'm just lacking motivation to follow through and watch them all, just because he's still stuck in like season two. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna make a new list of just like the absolute top ones you have to watch okay let me pull this up quick i'm almost there almost there i'm gonna go chart plug my phone in while you're doing this almost done rachel if it wasn't for james i'd be done (laughs) if it wasn't for james i'd be done actually if it wasn't for james (laughs) i'd be done yesterday because i would have just recorded yesterday Double douche. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which which should give Wes the advantage in Javi Oh! Mm. Wes is like trying, to, or James is trying to find some kind of argument. Okay. <laughs> All right, here All we right. go. All right. So I'm going to give you these stats. All right, you ready? All right, bring the your case played. before the judge. Game played. One has 665, one has 482. Okay. Total in their career? Yes. Okay. At bats. 
One, the one that has 665 games played had 2,316 at-bats. The one that had 482 games played had 1,944 at-bats. Mm-hmm. So the first guy had 400 more at-bats. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. The first guy has... But because he doesn't walk. Huh? He doesn't walk. He swings. He, he Let, me he Let me finish. Don't ruin this. <laughs> All right. It, remember, in 200 less games, almost, give or take 20. All right. The first guy has scored 344 runs. The mm-hmm. second guy has scored 332 in 200 less games. I'm not telling you who this is. All right. And the hits, the first guy has 626 Remember, in 400, uh, 200 more games, the second guy has 566 hits, so 60 less hits. Doubles, the first guy has 133. The second guy has 103. Triples, the first guy has 16. The second guy has 25. Home runs, and remember, in 200 less games almost, the first guy only has 110 home runs. The second guy has 63 home runs. RBI is the first guy. This is where he kind of gets farther ahead. The RBI is the first guy has 354. The second guy has 216. Walks, the first guy has 121. The second guy has 160. The first guy strikes out 694 times. The second guy struck out 396 times. So look at those stats. You would choose Javi Baez still? So the thing about Javier Baez is he's so polarizing, right? He does some things so much better than Trey Turner does. But then he also does other things that are terrible, like striking out and not walking and not getting nearly as many steals or nearly as many hits. But the things that he does so well are also very valuable, like we've talked about before. Like like I said, his defense is way better than Trey Turner. I will say that. Mm -hmm. I think Baez is the best defensive shortstop probably in the NL. I'm going. I'm going to lean Nash, or Baez because of the defense. Because there are things that Baez does better offense than Turner, and there are things that Turner does better in offense than Baez. But when it comes down to the defense, I'm going to give the edge to Baez. You make I a compelling thought... argument, though, James. No, it's okay. I'm not. It is very close. Him. It is very close. All right, folks. So we have labored through this. For you, for your enjoyment, mostly for our own enjoyment. And our final list for the top five for the American League shortstops is tre- is Marcus Simeon. Actually, I said doing American oh, League first. Marcus sorry, Simeon. Sorry, my bad, Doc. Get my it bad. together, James. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Marcus Simeon at number five. Carlos Correa at four. Gleyber Torres at three. Xander Bogarts at two. Francisco Lindor as the top shortstop in the American League. And then for the National League, we have Corey Seager at 5, Fernando Tatis Jr. at 4, Trey Turner at 3, Javier Baez at 2, and Trevor Story as the number one shortstop in the National League for the 2020 season. Tell us, do you think we are right? Do you think we are crazy? Um, Or somewhere in between. As always, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. And if you have any interest in our star wars portion of the show today that will be on after the outro music thank you for listening and have a great day i used to sit with my dad in the garage the sawdust, that pine saw in the moss 
around every spring When the winter thaw, we'd huddle around the radio Twist the broken knives, 7:10 a.m., no KJR Daily House's voice would echo throughout the yard Couldn't have been older than 10, but to me and my friends The voice on the other end might as well have been God's 1995, the Division Series Eggers up to bat, bottom of the 11th inning Got the whole town listening, swung on and belted The words distorted, Joy Core rounds third Here comes Griffey, the throw to the place, not in time My oh my, the Mariners win it Yes, fireworks, they lit up that ceiling in the kingdom We had just made history Woven, barely holding that stitch. Creases a time amongst the grime and the grit. Where the leather used to All right, guys. So it is time for the Star Wars, the Clone Wars portion of the podcast. And once again, we have a great episode to discuss. I'm really excited about it. So give a warm round of applause to our guest host today, my dad, Todd Vossen. Hello, everybody. Hey. Woo. Good. My dad is the reason I am a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Uh, raised me on Star Wars my whole life. He was a child of the 80s who grew up going to uh, the the movies back in the day and is a big reason that I'm the fan that I am today. So kudos to that man. I was actually six years old when my dad took me to the theater to go see the original Star Wars. So I saw that uh, in 1977. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I wish, and the first movie I remember seeing is um, Attack of the Clones in 2001, so that's pretty cool. Um, so, Dad, you just started sharing your screen. I did. Or wait, Wes did, never mind. I did? Yeah, you, I saw your interesting talking points notes, or maybe that was David. Might have been. Okay, someone's notes. Um, <laughs> so, let's go ahead and get into the show. So, this episode was called The Phantom Apprentice which I think was honestly one of the coolest uh, parts of this whole thing. It just really echoes back to The Phantom Menace, um, and a lot of people always thought The Phantom Menace was Darth Maul, but The Phantom Menace is actually Chancellor Palpatine or Darth Sidious, you know, working as this menace behind the scenes that nobody knows about. Um, And then to have this episode be called The Phantom Apprentice, I think it's a nod to... Darth Maul being this apprentice working in the shadows, but it also has Ahsoka doing the same thing, you know? And it notes that both of these two apprentices who are, um, you know, competing against each other, but so similar in many ways. And then also, it's the apprentice of Darth Maul who we got to see in The Phantom Menace, or the potential apprentice of Darth Maul, as he would have wanted it. So I just thought that that was a really cool concept right out of the gate when it showed the title of this episode. Yeah, I thought it was super cool. Um, you know, kind of, it gives you that ode back to the Phantom Menace, and then it gives you the ode back to, oh, they're both, they were both apprentices at the same time, and, and you know, Ahsoka was technically, she was a phantom at one time, too. You know, she was on the run. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a nice little tie-in with all three of them. Yeah, it was really cool. One thing that we talked about last week, Dad, you weren't here, or you, uh, you didn't hear it yet, but... We talked about, are we going to see any of the Battle of Coruscant? Because um, if you remember back to, 
do you remember the old Clone Wars episodes, like before this new show, like the ones that were on Cartoon Network and looked kind of like anime or whatever? Yeah. The little two-minute ones, Dan? Oh, yeah. yeah. Years have, and years ago. I actually ago. own all of those. On right, yeah. The, yes. Well, those those came out on TV before Revenge of the Sith ever came out. And they led up right until the point that Chancellor Palpatine is abducted, remember? And Mace Windu crushes General Grievous right before he gets on the ship. Right. And uh, that has the whole battle of Coruscant. So Wes and I were talking last week, wouldn't it be cool if this episode opened up with, like, uh, battle rages on Coruscant, and it shows a little bit of, like, Mace Windu and Yoda fighting in the streets of Coruscant in the little opening scene before it cuts back to Ahsoka on Mandalore. I would have liked to have seen that. It's a bummer that it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that they were trying to accomplish, you know, a, a certain thing with these two episodes. Not just this this last week, but the one before that, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that they did, you know. And I think bringing that battle into it would have, you know, just brought it to a whole different thing. It would have separated it, it for sure. It would have sure. separated. It would have made a whole new story. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed what they did. I mean, to me, those two episodes, really, and and I love Star Wars, put those two together, that was as good as any of the movies I've ever seen, really. And I 100% yeah, agree. Really? I agree. I mean, it's um, amazing cinematic movie that has been put into these two episodes um legitimately it goes it started right where it left off last week i think that that is actually going to happen with all four of these episodes i think it's going to be entirely seamless um i expect the next episode next week to start with ahsoka looking up at that glass roof like happened in this last episode um I think that's just going to take off right where it left off, which I think is truly awesome. I mean, I cannot wait for all four of these episodes to come out and for someone to cut it all together and getting rid of the like title sequences and credits in between so I can watch it as one straight movie. Yeah. You know? Now, and I'm going to I'm going to treat this as a movie, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that they pushed so, pretty hard is it to be... have all four of them released as a to, to theaters. Yeah, one seamless story. Mm-hmm. It was originally they had talked about releasing this in a the theater. Yeah. Is it going to be the Phantom Apprentice Part Three and then Four also, or is it, or, or was it just one and two? Well, the first one was called um, not the Phantom Apprentice. It was called uh, Old Friends Not Forgotten. Yeah. Was the first one. Yeah, that's true. So this one was called. I imagine they'll all four have different title names. Yeah. Um. Let's get into the story. So there, that's the name of the sh- episode. So we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the story takes off with Ahsoka being in the sewers and surrounded by the Mandalorians. And boom, Darth Maul starts talking to her. And uh, and he starts threatening her and talking about all of the different machinations of everything that's going on and a little bit of the the times that they're in and how she doesn't understand the weight of the situation, right? And while he's monologuing, she activates her comm system or her alert, whatever, so that Rex comes in and saves the day. Now, Darth Maul could have killed all of them right there, but he says, not yet, which I thought was a really interesting line. When it happened, I was like, not yet what? What do you mean not yet? You can't kill her right now because we know that you could take these people on. The clones are not any problem for you, right? So he says, not yet, and runs away. And I thought that was really interesting that they left that mystery open for everybody. 
um, for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. Um, and I also thought, kind of going back to that scene, you know, Maul knew, you know, him kind of mo- him monologuing, he knew the moment was close, and he knew what the moment was, talking about cities. Of Order, order 66, yes. Exactly, which just, I mean, he and then it, it, he talks about it later on in the episode, saying how, uh, you know, his master didn't didn't let him in on the secrets, and I won't get too far into that, but so right. that came straight from the Force vision, which is incredibly mm-hmm. impressive considering it didn't come to any of the Jedi. So that, that no, thought- Maul, Maul has always, if you go back throughout his whole time, uh, if you look at all the things in Rebels and in Clone Wars, multiple times he references what's going to happen in the future and the things that he senses in the Force and how the dark side is growing stronger. Mm-hmm. He, I think he, that's an interesting power of Maul. We always think he's this... Um, warrior kind of like a brute you know mm-hmm. but he is really a in, crazy intelligent and strong with the force uh intellectual which is i think is a really interesting aspect of him yeah. one thing i want to talk about with maul um he's voiced by sam whitwer the same guy who voices uh star killer in um the force unleashed and he also voices uh the emperor in some scenes as well he had some of the most amazing voice acting I've ever heard in this episode. I mean, you hear him when he talks about Palpatine and the little bit of fear he has in his voice, and then you hear him talking about uh, different things that are come to pass and how he stresses about things that are going to be happening, and he gets like a little crazy like he was back when he just... Uh, when he just was getting saved by Savage Press, right? And he like has the little hints of anxiety and it was just really impressive the way that he masterfully created that voice. I thought that was really impressive. So let's go back and talk about the the episode again. So as soon as Ahsoka comes in, he asks, why are you here to Ahsoka? Because he was expecting Obi-Wan. Now, his whole... Uh, plan this whole time that he's been you know building up this army again is to get revenge on obi-wan and when he killed Satine, you thought that that was the revenge that he had and that he wanted he still wanted to kill him but obi-wan got away right so when he's hoping to have obi-wan back here i just thought it was the same thing just him trying to get revenge but that's not the reason he wanted him here at all which is what we learned later on i thought that was very interesting as well yeah it was any notes on that it was beyond just trying Mm -hmm. to get back at obi-wan because he said, I was expecting Obi-Wan and your fall, you know, Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And so you see that he had this this plan to stop uh, Palpatine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which is so weird. I mean, honestly, Maul almost, I mean, for his own purposes, he wanted to save the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, he, he kind of like, in him, and it's kind of interesting because I want, you know, I've seen Rebels. And, of course, Ahsoka is in there. But, really, he's kind of like starting the Rebel Alliance there. Like, hey, we got to rise up against this this empire that that is about to happen. And you can't stop it now, but but we're going to try to rise up against it. And that's like a little mm-hmm. little uh, spark, I guess, of, of, of the Rebel Alliance to come. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it's, it is really cool. And the thing that's so cool about it is they have the same end that they want to an extent – and it his is for total so selfish dark side uh, personal gains. He's not trying to save anybody. He just wants the power to go to him and not to go to somebody else. Um, but 
it is cool to see how he's like trying to stop the same people that the good guys are trying to stop, you know? Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting concept. So Ahsoka gets away and you immediately see her starting to uh, figure out what's the next step. How can we find Maul? How do we finish this battle? You see the clones are starting to police the people and um, they're starting to their uh what's it called occupation is starting to make the people upset because they've more or less conquered the city there are still some minor squabbles going around on the planet but for the most part they've the republic has taken control um but the mandalorians are a proud people they've never wanted any occupation before Mm -hmm. so they're grumbling right and they've got to leave and the mandalorians want them to leave but they have to find maul first so they're still there trying to find maul and then they'll leave meanwhile Ahsoka goes and has a meeting with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it tells you what's going on in Revenge of the Sith right now, which I thought was one of the coolest scenes in the episode. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan was just sent to Utapau, and Anakin is sent to spy on the Chancellor. So, in my opinion, this is after they've spoken for the last time, I would think. Right? Yeah. Like, Obi-Wan's on his ship on the way to Utapau, is the way that I read this. It looks mm-hmm. like and Ob- Anakin and Obi-Wan have already said goodbye until they fight, right? Yeah, and it's kind of crazy, you know? It's like, would Ahsoka be able to prevent everything that transpired in Revenge of the Sith with, you know, just a word to Anakin? And, and- that's, why, that's why I think this is so... That's why I think, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, I think we are minutes away from Order 66 as soon as mm-hmm. she they capture Maul. I think it's minutes, if not seconds. So... Yeah, it's it's got to be really close. Um, but I thought it was really cool because, David, like you said, could she have stopped it? And I think that that's a really interesting concept because you think about the will of the Force, right? The Force does what the Force does. It's almost like you think about the will of God and having an eternal plan and everything happens according to his plan. That's almost like how George Lucas has made the Force work out. The Force has these destinies that people follow, right? Destiny is a huge thing in Star Wars. Everything has its purpose, you know? And I think that Ahsoka having this connection to Anakin is really strong and it has a lot of meaning but just oh you say could ahsoka have done this if she had the chance to talk to him well the force has a way of making what it wants to happen happening you know to bring balance to the force because you say david could he have stopped it well that's what the force needed to balance things out right because the jedi of that time honestly were a corrupt system that had to be reworked and the sith were taking control this whole plan of everything that happens from now all the way through the Rise of Skywalker has happened so that things can be balanced at the end of the Rise of Skywalker. And I think that's cool, but I also I also like the the part where it brings you to to dwell on that what if. I mm-hmm. I enjoy that part of it thinking man, what if Ahsoka, you know, would have have got to see Anakin again or or what if she would have teamed up with Darth Maul mm-hmm. at that moment, you yeah. know, when he reached out his hand and I think that's part of the enjoyment that I get is just Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that was just some of the coolest stuff. I mean, it's so awesome that we get to have this. I was thinking about it today. George Lucas said, or in in A New Hope, there was one sentence where Luke says to Obi-Wan, you fought in the Clone Wars? (laughs) And from that one sentence, this whole show has spawned. And it's given us this amazing backstory. I mean, think about how... The Clone Wars has taken these characters that everyone loved and the story that everyone loves and filled it in so amazingly to make the original story that we have so much better. And then we talk about how Disney's taken the movies and taken those some of those same characters and done so poorly with them. And 
you just see what could have been. You know, if they had taken the same approach of having people who love Star Wars and know Star Wars make the movies, we could have had something really cool there as well. But anyways, back to Clone Wars. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we're left with Ahsoka, or Obi-Wan asking Ahsoka to intervene with Anakin because Anakin thinks the, the council is doing something wrong. Obi-Wan is on the council and he's made this decision. He can't really... Uh, Council, I guess, Anakin on this. And he asks Ahsoka because he knows that he has a connection with, or she has a connection with Anakin, to intervene and to encourage him uh, to do the right thing and to fight against his own personal emotions and and not letting his emotions cloud his judgment, which is honestly something huge that happened in that last episode. Obi-Wan says, I'm not going to allow my emotion to cloud my judgment. And then Anakin goes and does that exact same thing for the next movie, right? Mm hmm. And uh, it's really that was a really cool scene, and then Ahsoka should be trying to prevent this. Um, and I just thought back to the first time we ever saw Clone Wars, and Yoda sends Ahsoka to Anakin instead of Obi-Wan because he thought that Anakin needs to have an apprentice to teach him how to learn to let go and to teach him how to control his emotions. And even now, in the last moment where he's about to turn to the dark side, that same Padawan is the, the fulcrum, honestly, to... Um, whether or not he could tip to the dark side or not. If he could just learn to let go of the emotions like was Ahsoka's purpose, then this whole thing would have been uh, avoided. Yeah. It's all very intricate and just so well-woven. This episode just has so many tie-ins across the whole Star Wars saga, honestly. I tell you what, yeah. Dave Filoni, you know, is probably my... I love George Lucas, but he's my favorite storyteller. He's just... Like you said, he has made a very made it so intricate the way that everything mm -hmm. has has uh, uh, I guess welded together with this whole thing. And and uh, man, what a great story! Yeah, it has been done so well. So another thing happens, and they find out that Maul has shredded through a bunch of clones, and Ahsoka is taken away from Obi Wan. And something really cool that I still don't know what it is. Is he says, I've got to run away. And Ahsoka turns and says, Obi-Wan, tell Anakin. And he just says, I will. I don't know what she wanted Obi-Wan to tell him. I've tried to think of it. Like, usually you think it's like, oh, I love you. But we know that's not what she would have said. And I'm just trying to wonder, what did he want, what did she want Obi-Wan to tell him? Any speculation on that? That, to <laughs> me, that seemed like a little bit of a foreshadowing. And I'm thinking maybe in the next couple episodes, we may see a message there. Of what, though? A message of what? Well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to find out what the message is within the next couple episodes. Because hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's time for Ahsoka to talk to Anakin again. And I think the next time Obi-Wan sees Anakin is when he confronts him on the platform in Mustafar. Yeah, that's why I think we're just minutes away in the, in the, in, at the end of this. I think we're, it, you know, she might be taken down and then there's Something's going to happen. You know, it's going to be... It, I just think it's just so close. There's just not enough time. What were you going to say, Dad? I don't remember. Oh. <laughs> I just don't think there's time for any more... I don't think there's any more connection or communication coming between Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, or Anakin. I think that with everything that's about to happen in Revenge of the Sith, and knowing that... Um, Ahsoka is presumed dead by Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka also thinks Obi-Wan is dead come Rebels. I don't think there's any more room for them to communicate. You know what I mean? So so you're thinking that that will forever be a, a cliffhanger that we never get yeah. an answer for? 
What did Ahsoka want to say to Anakin to keep him from turning to the dark side? It's interesting. I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think we will either, to be honest. I think that's a really cool point. Um, all right. So Ahsoka runs off. She finds the clones all tore up, and there's some clone that she somehow memorized his name from his face, <laughs> which they all have the same face, but she knew his name was Sterling. So she says, Sir, Sterling, right? He says, yeah, uh, Maul tore us all up, but he somehow knew Jesse was older and took Jesse. If you remember Jesse, he was from like season two, um, where you have the clone who had the family with the Twi'lek lady, and he was he had deserted the clone uh, the Clone Wars and he was living off by his on his own having a farm. Jesse was first in that episode, so he's a really old clone and served along Ahsoka for many many years. A lot of people were like, "Why did Darth Maul?" I was watching some other podcasts and thing or listening to other podcasts and videos. Why did Darth Maul want older clone? They're like, "Oh, well maybe he's more susceptible." to uh having mind reading or maybe he is um maybe the inhibitor chip is not as strong for him or something and i was like you guys no he just knows ahsoka better he was trying to find out about ahsoka uh because he wanted to learn more about her and i think that that makes the most sense right yeah i I thought that was pretty obvious to me he's just an older clone and he's had more experiences with ahsoka that's pretty yeah i think okay I, now, I saw a lot of people talking about this, and no one was bringing this up, and I kept commenting. I was like, guys, I'm saying the answer right here. Just look at it, and no one was listening. <laughs> so anyways, um, but that's what I think it is. So he interrogates Jesse, and then they still can't find Maul, and they get to the throne room, and Bo-Katan charges Maul with his blasters, or with her blasters, and he just deflects them so amazingly. It reminded me of the uh, scene where Han Solo pulls out his gun and shoots Darth Maul on Cloud City, and he just blocks it, you know? Yeah. It kind of had a, a little callback to that. I thought that was pretty cool. Or, or Kylo Ren catching Poe Dameron. Who cares about Kylo Ren? <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Whenever Maul was uh, interrogating Jesse, that's a callback to Kylo Ren interrogating Poe. Yeah. Mace Windu, Obi-Wan, Anakin, interrogated Cad Bane. Cad Bane. Yep, yeah, that was a cool episode. Mm-hmm. No, and it's really cool because that whole interrogation process, they always talk about how it can break your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It never actually does for some reason. Though it's like, oh, this is so dangerous and you could lose your mind or you'll tell me the answers. And they always end up just giving up the answers and never lose their mind. <laughs> Someday I want to see someone just go crazy from it. Well, um, almost. But anyways, he... Uh, he sends Jesse back to Rex, and I, I wonder if that's going to bode poorly. I think Rex is going to end up killing Jesse, because I think Jesse's going to be the one that turns and tries to kill Ahsoka when Order 66 comes, and Rex is going to be able to stop it and kill Jesse. That's what I think is going to happen, because I don't see why else they would keep him alive. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm wondering how Rex me. is going to stop Order 66. Yeah. I mean, well, do you remember in I mean, Rebels, Dad, he has his inhibitor chip removed. But right now he still has it. Yeah, but he still has it in right yeah, exactly. now. Exactly. So that's gonna be have that's gonna be something they're gonna have to show in there somewhere. Yeah, it's gonna be really cool. Um, I really am excited to see what happens with that. What's another thing that I was about to say? Oh, so then Bo-Katan runs off because while they're talking, all of a sudden, all the Mandalorians that Maul says, hey, do you guys really want to live in these sewers and hiding? Or you can go and take back your planet and either win or die a warrior's death. Which I thought was really cool because the Mandalorian culture, they do not care about dying. I mean, they live for battle. Uh, You see in all the books that I've read and in all kinds of show and the Mandalorian show and just different comics, they're always like, they don't care. They'll fight about anything. They just want to die as a warrior, you know? 
uh, dying of old age is a shame in their culture. So it was pretty cool to see that as well. Um, but this battle erupts, and it just calls back to all the George Lucas battles where there's a duel going on, but there's an even more or there's even another battle that's for a much grander scale. You think of Luke and Vader in the battle on Endor. You think of um, Revenge of the Sith. You have Yoda and Palpatine fighting. You have Mace and, or I'm sorry, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting. And they're just going back and forth. And there's always something cutting back to go back and forth between. It's always masterfully woven together where one little scene all of a sudden transfers into another. Like I remember one explosion happened um, in the... Uh, well, what's the where, the throne room that Ahsoka and Maul are in, and it just cuts to this explosion on the bridge. You see all the clones and Mandalorians fighting together. So amazingly done. I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. Did you like the little like slow mo they added to that? So I was talking to my dad about this on Friday, and I don't think that was slow mo, right? I think that there was so much going on. This is the way I'm just going to think about it. You can call it slow-mo if you want to, but like the music didn't slow down during that scene. So the way that I think about it is the force and just everything going on between Maul and Ahsoka, they were just focusing so much on that moment, right? Of him reaching his hand out to her, offering him to be an apprentice, offering her to be his apprentice, and she actually considering it. Because when the explosion happens, they don't flinch, they don't think about it. They're so focused on it. My thought is they just slowed that all down with the force, right? And just this glass just comes across, and they're just in the moment so much. That's how I'm going to think about it. And you can very well say it was an effect and it's slow motion, but (laughs) I love thinking about it that way. I think it's so cool. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But I don't know. Yeah, I think it it makes enough sense for me. I mean, <laughs> they did it in a way. They did it in a way that was different enough to make you think about it. it, it right, because usually just, you think slow motion, the explosion would motion. sound. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a it was a different effect, and it was so cool, man. Yes. The the smoke and the glass, it was just it was awesome, and that throne room, it kept getting more and more damaged as they dueled, right? Um, and you could just see like the walls, but from the pristine throne room that we've seen on Mandalore, we have seen that room so many times in so many different seasons and we saw it progress from now it matches. It used to have the, all the Mandalorian decor and Duchess Satine's face and stained glass. And now you can see all around the room. It has like these different tiles that match Maul's tattoos. Yeah. I mean, if it, you just go back and look at these had things, an, it, it definitely had an extreme makeover. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's just really awesome. Mall edition. Yes. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about. Um, we're getting into the needy greedy now. So, Maul offers to Ahsoka to be his apprentice, or maybe not even so much to be his apprentice, but just to assist him to kill Sidious. He tells that Sidious has this plan to wipe out everyone. He's playing both sides. And that confirms the story that uh, Obi-Wan told Ahsoka. We know of this Darth Sidious who is playing both sides of the war and his plan is to destroy the Jedi. And Maul says, join me and help me destroy him. And Ahsoka says, yeah, I'll join you. I thought that was such a cool moment. Ahsoka says, I will team up with a man I know is evil, has murdered hundreds for the greater good. You know, the lesser of two evils. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I just thought, Wow, what a scene that Ahsoka would do that. Because you think of Ahsoka being like this pure, perfect person in Star Wars. She never makes mistakes. And for her to decide to join up with Darth Maul, you're like, you know what? 
I feel like that's the right thing because you can only do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. See, I I'm, I'm in the thought that she never meant to join him actually because she had said yes, but tell me tell me what you want with Skywalker. See, I I just think she wanted information. I don't think she ever had any intention to join him. No, I think that she had thought long and hard about that. I mean, she sat there in silence, and I think she well, just decided, I'm going to join this guy. She was pretty quick to change her mind, I think. If it's, yeah, but if it's I don't like, think she yeah, was ever going to join... I don't think she was ever going to join the dark side. You know what I mean? Think about the episodes of Obi-Wan and Anakin and Count Dooku escaping the pirates, right? They worked together because they had to, def to defeat the pirates. It wasn't like Anakin and Obi-Wan were teaming up with Dooku saying, I agree with everything you agree, and we're... Our you know, equals, and we agree on the same thing. It's just our combined powers are more likely going to help us get out of the situation. I think that's what Ahsoka was saying. Ahsoka wasn't turning to the dark side. She wasn't agreeing to be his apprentice of the dark side. She was agreeing to help him kill the Chancellor. Do you so, get what I'm saying, Wes? Well, him just saying that, you know, Skywalker's the pawn, him saying that, it's like that hurt her feelings and made her change her mind? No, he didn't say that Skywalker's the pawn. Well, he, he said, said Skywalker's she, the key. Right, he said Skywalker's the key. And Ahsoka says, what do you mean the key? The key to balance, to bring balance to the Force? He says, no, to destroy. We have to destroy Skywalker. And that's when she says, oh no, I'm not helping I, I you kill Skywalker. I look at it the Skywalker. same way you're looking at it, Jake. And I think that once Anakin's name was thrown in there, it became, you know, she's close to him. Yeah, and she doesn't man. want to see him sacrifice at the expense of the greater good. But I think that mm -hmm. she was going to join uh, Maul for the greater good. Not, right. not as an apprentice or anything like that. Just to be exactly. defeat this thing. I think she felt it, you know, sensed it in the force. I think Obi-Wan, you know, that confirmed it to her. And I think she, she saw what was coming. But once that close person, you know, her... Her master was thrown into there. It was like, no, you're not going to get Anakin. Maul says Anakin has been groomed for a long time to be the apprentice for his new role as the apprentice of Sidious. And he says I ha he is the key to destroy him. I have to destroy him. And because he knew that Anakin was the, would be the reason that this all happened. And when Ahsoka said that, he says, your vision is flawed. Anakin, I know Anakin. She says, I know Anakin. Your vision is flawed. And that's when she turns her lightsabers on. So she agreed, I'm not going to let you kill Anakin. Anakin's not going to turn to the dark side. I know him too well. That can't happen. And that's when she says, I can't help you because I'm not going to help you kill Anakin. Because he said that the key to the whole thing was killing Anakin. Yeah, yeah and I think it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, the Jedi being of the light side were so blocked off to this vision. Whereas Maul, you know, dark side user got this vision in full yeah and i think that's the thing the dark side clouds everything right i think the dark side is hiding these things from the light side you know what i mean but maul being in all in tune with the dark side can sense the same plans of the dark side you know what i mean at the same time you know i think that what maul was was offering what he was saying was an honest thing he wasn't lying no, I agree. I mean, it's the same thing we saw in the Rebels with uh, mm -hmm. uh, with Ezra. Ezra and even Kanan. And I think it was Ahsoka when they were up there and they were climbing up the, the one mountain or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. where They all had joined together for, for a minute. And he was, you know, he wasn't lying. He's, he's you don't see that out, out of him. He's an honest. He doesn't tell you his purposes. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I just, I think that this was all just told so well. I mean, the fact that we can talk about a 29 minute animated show for longer than that show lasts and have so much to talk about it means that the show is done so well. Um, so then we get to see the coolest battle in all of the Clone Wars, in my opinion. I mean, Ahsoka and Maul fighting was just absolutely amazing. Can you think of any other battle that's been more well done? I mean, think about all the moves Ahsoka did with dropping her lightsabers and stuff how, and catching them. How well that was done. And and I know it's animated versus, versus you know, real life. But I thought that was as good as, as Obi-Wan and Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. Well, and I agree because of one thing. Obi-Wan and Anakin was almost too much, right? All, they did so many extra things like yeah. of lightsaber twirls and stuff. It didn't make sense. It was too artistic. This was every movement they were trying to kill each other or save themselves. And one thing that was really cool, this was motion capture. So Ray Park, the actor for Darth Maul, right. and a stunt double for Ahsoka, they had motion captured this entire battle and planned on just skinning it with the animated models and just throwing it into the episode. So they originally had done that, but they found out that the people looked too lifelike compared to the rest of the animated show. It didn't fit. So they ended up saving all the choreography and all of the um, motion capture for this battle, like people wearing suits, you know what I mean, like they do for video games. And they still did the whole same battle, but then they just uh, rendered it differently with animation and followed all of that as like an outline. Because usually it's all the animators doing it all on their own. And it looks more choppy, right? You think about the battles in the Clone Wars and everything looks a little more deliberate and kind of uh, edgy. And this was all so smooth and looked so graceful and realistic because they followed the motion, the Ray Park and stunt double motion capture uh, fight that they actually did with two real people. So I thought that was really cool. It looked very grounded and just realistic. And there's so many different effects that happened during this time. I thought it was just awesome. Like when Ahsoka uh, rolls over and throws Maul through the window, and his lightsaber cuts the two slits on the wall. Wasn't that sick? Yeah, yeah that was pretty yeah, sweet. Think. It was cool having Maul have his double blade lightsaber again too, because this is the first time he's had a double blade in um in the Clone Wars. Yeah, and when he starts off right? the fight, you know, he starts off the same kind of way that he did in the mm-hmm. Phantom Menace. Pretty nostalgic. Yep. Yeah, it was. He opens it up and rolls, opens one blade to the next, just like he did it with uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And he also did the same move, or a very similar move, to um, Ahsoka as he did with Obi-Wan. He did a strike and then turned and elbowed her in the face, just like he had done to Qui-Gon in Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. So, very cool. I mean, it just all these different things with Ray Park. I, thought I mean, where he like hopped up on one leg twice and did this little like stunt with his leg as he pushed her, was really sick, too. Another cool thing that they did was they added in, like, that background choir. It wasn't Duel of the Fates. Oh, I, I right. wishing it was, but you could... But it called back something. to it. Yes, and I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. No, that was awesome. I mean, the soundtrack for all of this, for these episodes, um, I think this is the first time that they... Don't quote me on this. I know for um, the, the Wrong Jedi where Ahsoka left Anakin... That was the first time they had ever used live recorded music to for the soundtrack for the Clone Wars. The rest of it had always been um, th- synthesized by a computer. This was the first time that they had done um, – that was the first time they did live music. I'm pretty sure they're doing live music again for these four episodes as well. Mm. Recording it, I mean. Um, 
but yeah, like this whole thing was so amazingly choreographed and the effects and the switching between battles and the audio, it was just all amazing. Um, yeah, I thought it was so, interesting uh, how Maul even said, uh, it's like whenever um, Gar Saxon's there asking for help, and he's like, oh, you know, die well. <laughs> die well, bud. You, like, like you served your purpose, you know? Yeah. Oh, we skipped over how he sent away um, his syndicate, right? So we see in Han Solo, in the Solo movie, that Darth Maul at the end of it runs the crime syndicate of the Pikes. I forget what the green guys are called. And Black Crimson Dawn. Black Sun, yes. The Pikes, Black Sun, and Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn run by Dryden Voss. Well, if you look at that hologram where he sends them into hiding, Dryden Voss is in that hologram. So it's a little uh, cameo from Solo. I thought that was cool. Super cool. Yeah, super. Um, so he sends his... He sends his... um coalition i guess out into hiding and his plan is to during the chaos that's about to come of the republic becoming an empire he intends to thrive and to build his own empire at the same time and that's exactly what he ends up doing as we know from rebels and from solo we know that maul gets away eventually so he's trying to get away now and ahsoka chases him up into the raptures or raptures (laughs) up into the raptors and we see a really cool scene of them fighting on these balance beams. I thought that was an, another awesome scene as the clones are slowly taking over. Um, as the clones are slowly taking over Mandalore. Yeah, that scene actually really reminded me of uh, uh, when Obi Wan and Anakin are fighting on Mustafar. They jump on mm-hmm. that beam and they're just kind of like, woo, and then they, yep. uh, you know, they're battle, trying to balance, and when the fight still goes on. And- it also reminds me of the fight scene in The Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan, uh, Qui-Gon, and Maul are on the little platforms in Naboo, and they all balance, and they pause and look at each other, and Maul like wobbles back and forth for a second. There was a moment where he's on the beams, and it looked just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get to see a really cool fight where Ahsoka wins. Uh, she gets the upper hand, and I thought that was just really cool to see. I honestly thought that Maul would win and get away, you know? But to see her win even after her lightsabers fell to the ground and to use his own lightsaber to cut the beam that he stands on so that he falls to his death and she just catches him with the force. I was like, man, what an amazing move. I mean, truly amazing. Yeah, I, and, thought, that was, I thought that was incredible. But, you know, even even kind of, you know, once Maul is captured, Ahsoka knows that, you know, Maul thinks that Anakin is potentially... yeah the the key and in rebels she's like so surprised like she, maybe maul was right you know yeah like, and i think no, that nothing. she thought he died with the rest of the jedi in order 66 once we get there and we'll find out how that all works out in the here in the next couple episodes yeah. um and one thing too david if you read uh if you read that ahsoka novel that's not the only time she defeats a double-bladed character without any lightsaber. She does it a very a does it a very similar way actually. So I thought that was really cool to see her kind of um, combating the same with the same techniques that she uses in the Ahsoka novel. Mm. So one final question before we uh, finish up the episode: Maul is trying to escape to a ship, and we don't know who's in the ship. They only show the silhouette. They don't show what the ship looks like. I feel like there's a reason, right, that they don't show who it is. It has to be someone we know, I would think, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what would be the reason for not showing the ship or showing who she's talking to? I mean, it, could it just be a Mandalorian? I suppose, but it seems like he's leaving the Mandalorians, right? 
I mean, it could just I be think, important. I think that they were ambiguous on purpose. And I think that it will probably be revealed very soon. And it may be a tie-in to a later movie or show. That would be a cool Personally, I think now, it wasn't even that, you know, who was up there was the important thing. I think it was Ahsoka was kind of looking up, like, like what is what is about to happen, you know? What's going Maybe on, was, what's about to happen. Yeah, like, looking up at yeah. the sky, like, I hope everything. And okay. I think you're right. I think as far as the Ahsoka part goes of that, I think you're right. She wasn't so much wondering who's in that ship trying to save him. She's thinking what you're thinking. But I'm thinking as far as the producers go, earlier on in the episode, they still only showed just the silhouette of the ship and didn't say who it was. I don't think the Mandalorians would be trying to save him if he just tells the Mandalorians to die well and he's abandoning them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's somebody else. And I feel like they're going to be the ones that rescue him from the clutches of the Republic right now. You get what I'm saying? I feel like there's some reason for that. Yeah, I don't know. What it is. I feel like it's just we'll find out. coincidence, more or less. Okay. Well, we will see. Um, one other thing, I want to encourage you guys to read The Son of Death, Son of Dathomir. It's a graphic novel or comic book that takes place right before this all happens. So if you remember back in Season 5 of The Clone Wars, Maul is captured by Sidious, right? And he says, I have plans for you. Well, we had all assumed that his plans were running this underworld but actually he was imprisoned by sidious um and the mandalorians the ones that wear the red masks and everything they go and save him from or rescue him from palpatine's prison mm-hmm. and that's what this whole son of dathmir comic series is so i think it's definitely worth reading and you learn a lot of things in there and there's a lot of the characters in there and uh, it's a really cool story so I'll, you guys should definitely go check it out um anything else before we sign off uh, Any comments? Just kind I of am, a quick comment. I think well, it's ahead. interesting that uh, the council is they suspect that Sidious is on both sides, uh, and they send their most powerful Jedi away. Even though they don't know it's Palpatine, but they think that someone is in, is playing both sides, which means that they're playing the Senate as well. So it's mm-hmm. someone in the Senate that they, that they think is getting played. They don't know it's yeah. Palpatine, but. On kind of on the same on the same road, uh, they sent Anakin on a side mission side mission to kind of check out Palpatine's intentions. So they don't know he's a Sith Lord, but maybe he's being controlled well, by the Sith Lord. I think it's interesting that they do that. And it it shows Palpatine's master plan, right? Because yeah. this would not have been able to happen. They wouldn't have been able to take over the Jedi Temple with just one Jedi and a bunch of clones if all the Jedi weren't spread over across the Outer Rim. A lot of the materials and everything that was written... um, George Lucas writes so much when he makes these movies covering about the reason for everything that's happening. And from that, a lot of novels and different uh, resource books and everything have come out. So according, this is according to George Lucas, not just like random EU stuff. So Palpatine launched a huge offensive across the Outer Rim of the galaxy... Uh, right before Revenge of the Sith, so that the Jedi are spread out all over the galaxy. Yeah. That's why Plo Koon's all the way over here, and Ayla Secura's out on uh, Felucia. Everyone's spread out. That way you have, don't have a ton of Jedi Masters. That's why over time, you keep watching all the Jedi Council meetings and Yoda's on Kashyyyk. All these Jedi are meeting via hologram because barely anyone is back at Coruscant, right? I blame so, Mundy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? Yeah, Mundy's to Kiati Mundi sent Obi-Wan to Utapau. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, 
he was the Dark Lord that we all that we never knew about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, you just see Palpatine's huge master plan and all of this, why he spreads everybody out so that this all can happen at the exact right moment. So it's all very cool, and I think that Clone Wars has tied it all together so well. I cannot wait for the final two episodes. Next Friday is the final episode, and then May fourth on Star Wars Day, which is only a few days after next Friday, will be the final episode of the Clone Wars. It should be amazing, and I cannot wait. Any other final notes, Dad? I know you're going to say yeah, something. Let me I make forgot. One final comment here. So, mm-hmm. as a kid who who watched the original Star Wars, and and you know, over the years has went through this. I think that the Clone Wars has redeemed um, the series more so than even the Rise of Skywalker, or yeah, the Rise of Skywalker tried to. And and I, if there's one character that I see that, that has become my favorite character, it's really it's Ahsoka Tano, because she mm-hmm. was a person who always stayed good through this whole mm-hmm. thing you know she was that light and and she man i just thought they did a great job with ahsoka and i think people who are nerds like me that are like my age i think that we were looking at that and we're like that's cool because they really ruined luke skywalker but at least you know at least they they did good with with ahsoka tano yeah, and I think that it's so cool how you can see such an amazingly written character like Ahsoka, a character that fans really get behind and love and are excited about. And it's not like we don't like her because she's a girl, like some people say. Like, oh, Star Wars fans are toxic. They hate female characters. They don't like Rose Tico and they don't like Ray. Like, no, it's not that we don't like girls. We just want good characters. We love Ahsoka. Okay. <laughs> no one likes Rose. <laughs> um but no you're totally right i mean you think about to ahsoka in the clone wars movie this annoying little girl calling r2d2 rt r2 and calling anakin skywalker sky guy i mean we hated her but then over time she develops and matures and becomes this amazing jedi that you just love and are just so uh enthralled with and just are rooting for at every turn so yeah you're totally right dad she's an amazing character and I'm excited that she's going to be in The Mandalorian and hopefully going to get her own spinoff show. So that'll be awesome if that Ooh-wee. happens. I'd be excited to see that. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Dad. You're always welcome back again. Thank you. We will be bringing you another episode next week. And we hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, may the Force be with you. <laughs>